The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network, GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have a really special guest on our show this week. Someone who has had so many professional credentials, the mind boggles. He's Richard Theme, and he has a website, themeworks.com. That's theme with T-H-I-E-M-E. And we're going to cover his recent books one called UFOs and Government, and Historical Inquiry, and some novels in the series called Mobius. All right, so we got a lot to go with. But when I was looking up your background, Richard, I noticed that you kind of got started in writing as a teenager, writing sci-fi, and you wrote a story called Pleasant Journey, for Analog Science Fiction, which is one of the famous sci-fi magazines that was edited by Joseph Campbell. Was that John Campbell? Rather not Joseph Campbell, right? John Campbell. You're right. Joseph Campbell. Right. So you got, how did you start writing sci-fi? And what was the story about, by the way? Very interesting uh, question to start off with. I started writing when I was like uh, 13. We, we have time, so I can do a very brief autobiographical statement about that how that happened take your time if we okay. run over time i'll throw you off don't worry okay when i was uh i guess 13 years old i was in eighth grade at uh, nettlehorst grammar school in chicago illinois now what's relevant is that i had no father after the age of two my father dropped dead when i was two years old unexpectedly and my mother who had met him at work not uncommon think of uh mad men had to go back to work. I was what they called a latchkey kid before we had that term. And all the teachers then, to think back to that early era, were women. I never had a male teacher until eighth grade when a teacher named Ted Besser was my instructor. And he asked us all to write a novel. Well, I took him at his word. I wrote about a 150-page novel, Kidnap Story, he asked me if I'd seen a particular movie that was playing then. Uh, no, was the answer. And he said, this is really impressive. I realized everybody else in the class wrote one or two pages and called it a novel. I wrote a novel. He, said, he told me he took it to his master's that he was taking uh, to get a graduate degree to show them the quality of my work. Why is that relevant? Because without a father figure, that was the first time a male figure in authority affirmed that gift. It wasn't affirmed uh, at home. That was the family that thought accounting and, and law was the best route for uh, a young guy in Chicago. 
but not me. My inside said something else. Because of the way I grew up, I seriously think I lived in books. I read a lot. I had a great imagination. And because he affirmed that, it meant so much to me to have someone say, what you're doing is good and it's worthwhile. So I start writing stories. Not every teacher could follow that. In high school, I remember being told, you wrote something I don't understand at all. I don't, I don't know what that's about. And back home as a family, I got things like, oh, another story about an adding machine marrying a typewriter. And then everybody would break up. So you learn, as a lot of us do, to fight with resistance against that which denies your internal structure and yearning. And so I did. So I wrote stories. And I wrote Pleasant Journey, and I sent it off to John Campbell at Analog, and I still have his letter, because that was a very big deal. He was a grandmaster of science fiction and had brought out Analog to the top of the pile. And what the story was about was, in effect, virtual reality. It was about someone who invented a machine that he was trying to sell to a carnival that you could enter and put on the electrodes and the headphones and all that, and you would enter a, a dream world uh, that seemed so real that you didn't want to leave it. And that's exactly what happened to the carnival owner when he tested it. He wanted the machine at once, but he didn't want to get out of the machine because it was so preferable to his mundane life. Well, that was, let's see, I, I say I was 19, so that would have been uh, 1963 when I wrote that. That was a long time ago, a long time before virtual reality was a word either, a term. But that's what I was seeing. I always have been able to see the future in a way much, much more clearly than I, I joke that I, than I can see the present. I don't even know what I'm having for dinner tonight. But when I look out, connecting the dots, intuitively understanding where things were likely to go, uh, which stood me quite in good stead, and I can talk about how that led to my work as a speaker and writer for the last 30 years. When you talk, of course, about living in this virtualized world, I also think, of course, as Star Trek's holodeck. Of course, there you don't have to put anything on. You just enter this room, and everything right. there is 3D. And even there, they want to stay sometimes. And sometimes the machines yeah. don't work, so, they, so the prohibitions against killing you are turned off, and that makes for a good episode. Yeah. To be completely honest, because I decided, how am I going to talk for two hours with these great guys about this? And the answer was with honesty, with complete honesty. Just go where it goes. And the truth is, I never watched Star Trek. I, I haven't seen a Star Trek movie to, to this day. That's a, a, a shameful thing to admit, but there it is. So I know about things like the holodeck, because everybody talks about them. But I've not seen the series, or the movies? Well, we had a couple of times on the show a producer named Tracy Torme, who actually was one of the creators of the holodeck. He's also involved, of course, in studying UFOs and the paranormal. Okay, yeah, I was just saying, I know, I know who that is, Tracy Torme. I know who he is. All right, so let's go on this path now. You get this story published in Analog. Did you get yep. other stories published over the years? I actually, when I, I, I went on a completely different route. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. I mean, I, I wrote a novel, but when I, I graduated from Northwestern, I loved literature. I loved words. I loved 
good literature. And uh, I, I was good at it. Once you loved something, I was a Phi Beta Kappa, and I graduated summa cum laude at Northwestern and went to the University of Chicago in literature uh, on an NDA Title IV fellowship. And um, it wasn't work. I, I, I just uh, loved it. Uh, but when I got out, I taught uh, in college. I taught at the University of Illinois in Chicago for five years. I taught literature and writing. And uh, I wrote a novel. And it took four years. And I looked back at it, and it was really good. But what happened is pretty typical. Uh, in those days, you sent the whole manuscript or a carbon copy. You know, that's where CC comes from. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, to a publisher, and you could only do one at a time, and they got pretty dog-eared, and Putnam's was a major publisher then. We hadn't consolidated like publishing has today, and uh, I still treasure a letter from the vice president telling me he had read that novel with pleasure and admiration, but then he added, you know, it wouldn't be a commercial success, and and that was true. So I, I went through a lot of changes, and uh, living in England, I, I had lived in Spain earlier, and I lived in England, uh, outside of London, and I went through a lot of changes and joined the uh, Anglican Church and came back and became an Episcopal clergyman. This was uh, a pleasure for my family, too. They were half Christian, half Jewish. Uh, so this was the Christian half manifesting itself, and there are a lot of internal reasons why you do that, and I'm not going to go into all of that, but it, it was clear and sincere and a meaningful transformational moment. Uh, actually, it wasn't a moment. It was a couple of years of a process where I did explore living in England, um, the uh, what you would call the paranormal. I found a wonderful uh, house that was a used bookshop, and one room was nothing but the uh, Society for Psychical Research books published at the turn of the century. You know, all those great, great books. You know, by really, really terrific people. And we'll get back with Richard Theme telling us about how he got from there to here. And it sounds like a fascinating story as well. With Gene and Tim, you're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. The Silver Lungs Generator is the only all-encompassing professional class product for producing endless colloidal and ionic silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. With recent regulations threatening the sale of silver-based supplements, now you can secure yourself and your family by producing your own silver solutions anywhere, anytime. 
You can have the peace of mind knowing that you can create endless supply of silver anytime, anywhere, for any application. The Silver Lungs Generator is a one-time purchase that requires no maintenance nor replacement parts for the life of the unit. This product was designed to be an invaluable part of your vital preparations. For a detailed report on the differences between ionic silver, colloidal silver, and what most silver solution manufacturers are producing, please visit our website at www.silverlungs.com for more information on why you should be producing your own silver solutions right from your home forever. We depend on our drinking water supply daily, but where does that water come from? Your water provider encourages you to get to know your local water source so together we can protect and preserve it. The investments we make as a community to protect our water source now ensure we have a sustainable drinking water supply for the future. Visit drinktap.org to learn more. This message is brought to you by the American Water Works Association and your local water provider. Let me tell you a story about Bill. Bill was a normal guy in his 50s. He had back surgery about two years ago. Bill was in a lot of pain. He dealt with his pain by taking the Percocets his doctor prescribed for him. Bill took more and more and more of them to help with the pain until one day the prescriptions weren't enough to get rid of Bill's pain. Then one day Bill found someone to help him get rid of the pain with illegal drugs he didn't need a prescription for. Fast forward to today. Bill lost his job and his family. The only thing he does have is his drug dealer. If you know Bill's story and you don't want to end up like Bill, call the Detox and Treatment Helpline right now to get away and get treatment. 800-296-1327. 800-296-1327. Call right now. Help is standing by. 800-296-1327. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We continue with Richard Theme, Chapter 2. You went to England. What year was this now? I lived in England in 72, 73. So you were at the tail end of the British rock and roll revolution then? Well, what I was aware of was that it was a welfare state, a very dreary place compared. I mean, Thatcher hadn't come on the scene yet and turned things upside down. It was pretty great, but I loved England. And all that work in English literature had had taught me to love and appreciate the landscape and just the whole ambience. That's one of the reasons I became an Anglican, I'm sure. Uh, because between the professors and my immersion in the literature, uh, it transformed the the way I thought about things, the Anglican uh, ethos and the Anglophile ethos. And I uh, f- finally made the decision to become uh, an Episcopalian. I came back to this country and became an Episcopal priest. 
And I did that for 16 years. The point is that exploring all that stuff, what we call the paranormal, I hate the term because it's normal, so, so much of it. Uh, it's consciousness and the ways it works. But reading uh, people like uh, Frederick W.H. Myers, uh, apparitions at the time of death and things like that, William James, uh, that was part of my experience, as well as I got to know people in that world at the Spiritualist Church, and I knew mediums. And I knew all sorts of people who were exploring. And obviously, from my childhood, where I needed to create a life and an, an identity and an understanding and do so, above all, with imagination and words, you know, there's a way that becoming an Anglican uh, fits that bill. And I explored automatic writing, and I explored other things. And finally, that led to my decision to visit the parish clergyman and say, I'm ready to be baptized. He says, well, no, you got to gotta do something. I said, I'll do whatever I need to do. Let's do it. And I came back to this country, and what jobs in the church paid? And they said, just priest. And I said, well, priest it is then. And they said, that's not how you discover a vocation. I said, it's how I do it. And the bottom line is a few months later, I was in seminary. And of course, I was obviously a good student. And I immersed myself in three years of that. And then I, I was really good in parish ministry because I was uh, extroverted and loved it and loved serving people. Part of the transformational journey was to discover that I needed to be grounded in the universe, in the, in the world, in a different way than I had been. And that transformational, uh, what I call a, a hierarchical restructuring of the psyche, is what others sometimes call a conversion experience. But I think it's hardwired into all forms of human consciousness. And different religions take different metaphorical paths to trying to articulate it for its adherence and then nurture it and uh, teach it and sustain it. But it's really the same kind of journey. It's, it's hardwired in your brain. And I had that experience uh, in England. But because I was so experientially based, I continued to pursue it. So I, the bottom line is I did that work for 16 years. And after about, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years, the itch to write again really was compelling, uh, really compelling. Two relevant anecdotes here. Uh, one, when I decided I wasn't going to make it as a writer because I couldn't get that novel published, I took all the notes for a second novel, which was a story of transformation, and I dumped it in the dumpster, and I can tell you that I heard a voice. Now, I'm not saying what the voice was. Very easily uh, could have been my, my unconscious. The voice said, now just wait. Now just wait. Now, I did. And I did ministry, for, as I say, for a total of 16 years when I left. But the, the bottom line was, I think an awful lot of writers write a great first novel and then don't have anything else to write because everything they have lived to that point is is there. And unfortunately, the publishing industry pressures them to do another one and another one and another one, and they often fail. Uh, they fail to produce quality work in the second or third or fourth because that pressure doesn't serve them well. So I think that I lived life the way I did working in ministry and the challenges of it, and I did it very creatively uh, on the island of Maui 
in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then finally in, in uh, Milwaukee. That led me to the point where I just, gosh, I just wanted to write again. And I started a short story. And the short story was science fiction. Um, it was about an encounter, a very unusual kind of encounter with alien life and who they chose, um, who the aliens chose for the encounter, uh, which was a very atypical sort of encounter story. And I wrote it and I had a draft of it. And I guess I had the guts to find out where John Updike lived, and I sent it to him. And I said, look, please help me. I believe I want to write again. I don't know if this is any good. Can you give me an opinion? And I still have the wonderful letter that John Updike sent back. You know, we all have our personal saints that live in our memories and lighted niches. And uh, he's sure one of mine. He said this. He said, I'm reading science fiction lately, and this is right up there with the very best. Do not quit. And he gave me some other advice. And when he came to Milwaukee later to do a lecture at the library, I could tell him what he had meant to me. I've tried to find that eighth grade teacher I mentioned and haven't been able. He's probably long dead now. But I wanted to tell him what he meant to me because teachers don't know when they say something offhand how a student might be hearing it and how life-changing it can be. But I took Updike at his word, and the point is I really developed that story into a, a, a very, very good one, and it actually figures in one of the novels that we're going to talk about. And then I got involved with uh, UFO Group. That's a whole other thread, but I want to stick with you asked why why I turned to writing short stories or did I write other short stories? And that came about later after I had worked with people in the intelligence community. And one day, this is a true account. The uh, assistant deputy director of the national security agency said, with kind of a chuckle, he said, you know, you can't ever discuss what we talk about in here. And I said, I know that. And he laughed and he said, unless you start writing fiction. He said, fiction is now the only way you can tell the truth. And I took him at his word, because when you work collaboratively in security, I mean, I've, um, I've keynoted security conferences in 15 different countries, and you get to know people. You, you, just as in the ministry, you do not betray their trust, or in the intelligence community, you do not betray sources and methods. Uh, because a lot is at stake. So I took in his word, and I started writing short stories. And I have written 27 of them, and they were collected in a volume called Mind Games, and uh, 19 of them were. And a number, number of them are dealing with aliens or science fiction tropes or deep states of consciousness. we got so much more okay. with Richard, Gene, and Tim. You're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. 
And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. USA News Update. The White House is approving an emergency arms sale to Israel. According to the State Department, the U.S. will sell roughly 14,000 tank artillery rounds to Israel for just over $106 million. The agency cited a provision in the Arms Export Control Act that allows it to bypass Congress in approving the sale. The release said the State Department notified Congress an emergency exists that requires the immediate sale of the arms to Israel. The president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, is resigning following a congressional hearing on anti-Semitism on college campuses. The House investigation, which also includes Harvard and MIT, was prompted by university president's failure to explicitly condemn calls for the genocide of Jews. McGill announced her immediate resignation on Saturday, while Harvard president Claudine Gay has apologized for her response during the hearing, emphasizing that threats against Jewish students have no place at the school. Skip Kelly, USA News. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this... Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. It's obvious the unthinkable continues. Most Americans know something very wrong is happening. People in charge keep telling you that everything's fine and to stop noticing. But you know better. That's why self-reliant folks are investing in emergency food storage. And you should, too. My Patriot Supply the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, are the ones you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $200 on each three-month food kit you purchase. My Patriot Supply also sells solar generators, gravity-powered water filters, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship that same day and arrive quickly on your doorstep in unmarked boxes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Time is running out to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. Richard, before we go on, I was going to ask you here, we're jumping from 
going back to short story writing to working in the intelligence community, in what capacity, how did that begin? Well, it, it began when I left the ministry. And I left the ministry because the cognitive dissonance was getting so great. I don't want your, your listeners to think that, uh, you know, I jumped on the secretary or something. What in fact happened is the technological revolution happened. The Internet revolution happened. And I had bought my son an Apple II when he was 12 years old. We played a, uh, an Infocom game. Do you remember Infocom? The great interactive fiction. And one of them was a wonderful construction of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, these were on floppy disks, right? Green screen, all big caps. Uh, and we were playing that wonderful interactive fiction game. And this is the epiphany I had. As I described, a text-based guy. I knew how literature worked. I knew how words worked. I knew how narratives were constructed. This was different. This was an interactive fiction that, when I played it with my son, led to the light bulb moment when I said, wait a minute, this isn't like just reading. This experience with the computer in and of itself is transformative. And it is not only changing my brain, I think it's changing me, who I fundamentally am. And then the next idea, which came right away, was if that's correct, if that's happening to me, it's going to happen to the whole society. It's going to happen to the whole world because everyone in those days you thought is going to be with a computer. Now everybody's computerized. Everybody's going to be in front of a computer. I said, everyone is going to be a digital extension of the transformation of their consciousness through this internet and digital revolution. And I don't want to miss it. And that was the bottom line. I wrote an article called computer applications for spirituality the transformation of religious experience. Pretty far out, but damn right on. It wouldn't, nobody would publish it. Send it to the best Anglican Theological Review, and they sent it back with notes in the margin uh, saying, he must be crazy, or who does he think it is, or this is insanity. I'm not kidding. Ten years later, they published that very article and, and wrote to me saying, we'd like to publish it now. It's so cutting edge. Well, it wasn't cutting edge ten years later, but it sure had been cutting edge. And people who find that article still say, my gosh, you saw it all from the beginning. And that's what the illumination, what the epiphany gave to me. I saw what was going to happen to society. And I tried to write about it to the religious community of which I was a part, and nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. They just couldn't get it, literally, as I said. So push came to shove when I was being offered the jobs I always thought I wanted, the biggest Episcopal churches in the country, and a bishop. They were on the table. And I knew if I took one of those, I would be handcuffed with golden handcuffs for the rest of my career because they paid for ministry really well. There are a lot of perks. That's a whole other story. And so I made the difficult decision at the age of 49, no, I I think I've got something here. I'm going to speak and write to the issues that I tried to address in the religious context, but they apply to everybody. And I need to find the audiences that need to understand what's coming. And so I resigned from the ministry, and I began a career of speaking and writing, and that was 30 years ago. 
And I did that full time. And I, you probably get the idea. I throw myself into whatever I do. I'm still doing it. I love what I'm doing still all these years later. And I start writing. And uh, technology was the major focus. Now, that was 1993. And what's significant about that date is that was the first year it was authorized to do commercial activity on the Internet. It had been prevented before that. It was only military or academic or corporate. And so suddenly there was an audience. There were audiences everywhere uh, who wanted to know what that was about. The Wisconsin Professional Engineers Association said, said to me, they called me and they said, we're hearing about this thing called cyberspace. Nobody knows what it is. Can you write a thousand-word column on what is cyberspace? So I did, and they loved it. And they said, would you write a another one next month and next month. And pretty soon I'm writing columns that I called islands in the clickstream. In other words, we're all jumping into the digital clickstream. And these were islands of reflection into the deeper aspects of the technology and how it was impacting and trans transforming us. Now, yeah, the wider internet, I understand, but up until then, especially from the eighties and early nineties, we had proprietary, online services that basically kept you within their own networks like AOL and CompuServe right. and Genie. And I was very active on yep. AOL. In fact, I worked for them for a number of years. And then wow. eventually they expanded into what we call the wider internet. And then the individual service was no longer relevant because you could communicate with anyone. Things that you were writing about. Right. Go ahead. Right. And that's right. I was on CompuServe for, for a long time and Usenet, Usenet groups um, emerged. So I was plugging into what, what we call, you remember, bulletin boards. I wrote for some of them. You know, you just go where the technology leads you. And that was really the core of my insight. What this technology is going to do is reframe identity and therefore possibilities for action in every area of life. And people don't know it. And because, as I said, I was a tech guy, I happen to be positioned on the cusp. You know, it's like looking at the Terminator on the moon. You know, if it's all all light, you don't see anything. If it's all dark, you don't. But at the Terminator, you see mountains and craters and rills because the illumination is revealed by contrast. And I was in a position to say the printing press world is not going to persist in the way in which it has for about 400 years. And a new digital means is going to come to be. And because I had been in the religious world, I knew that was the story. It's speech made religions possible. And then writing transformed oral religions into written religions. And then the printing press did it again. And I was saying, and the digital world is going to do it again. So I was getting involved. Hacking was, was um, different then. You know, it was brand new. And I was plugged into some of the people who were doing hacking, and I was writing articles about this. Uh, my first one was for Wired magazine, but for others, they were they were all over. And that was a, another example of the advice I could give people on how do you do this thing. I had written this piece for Wired, five thousand words, and they took five hundred and printed it. And I said, "Can I do something with the rest?" And they said, "Sure." And it was about how the internet was going to change things. And I'm sitting in front of my old AT, IBM AT, thinking, well, where can I sell it? I don't know any other magazine but Wired. And then the light bulb went on, duh, you know, like Homer. Don't just write about the Internet. 
use the internet. And Gopher was our go-to search engine then. Within a couple of weeks, I was selling articles to England, to Australia, and to South Africa, which would start regularly reproducing my, my islands in the clickstream every month for several years. And I built up a whole credibility through what I was publishing elsewhere. And I had the idea, email was pretty new for most people. I offered those columns I was writing to friends and they said, sure. So I would attach them or print the text in the, there were no blogs, but I started sending out the columns. USA Today found, found them and uh, told people about them. And then hundreds, well, within a few years, I was sending that column to uh, 60 countries and thousands of people. And it was about technology, and I was expanding my sense myself as a person. And that example I gave is use the technology, whatever it is, engage with it, because you can't think in terms of the paradigms created by the other prior technologies, how the new technologies are going to transform you unless you engage with them and allow them to do that transformation. And then you go where they take you, and that's what I did. Suddenly I'm a world I'm world-renowned. We're going to continue on his discovery of the cutting edge there. Richard, Gene, Tim, you're in. The Pericast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. If you love mysteries, you'll love these two books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll learn about the strange beings that can look like us, but are not. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll see the hard evidence of UFOs that has been ignored or even hidden. These books will definitely blow your mind, and both are now available on Amazon.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Do you know someone with a drug or alcohol problem? Get help now. Insurance may cover everything. Stop the drug and alcohol nightmare. Call 800-284-0523. Learn how through the Family Medical Leave Act, you can leave your job without losing your job. Locations everywhere. Get immediate help for drug and alcohol problems. Call now. 800-284-0523. 800-284-0523. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. 
Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now, before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Richard Thiem, before we get on, I wanted to go back to one thing. I don't think I understood the answer because we see you covering technology. And I also did some columns for USA Today back in the early 2000s, particularly on personal computers. But I still can't understand the intelligence thing, how you got involved with these intelligence agencies. Okay. Just about to go there. The point is, I got in connection with all these people. I'm on these Usenet groups. And Jeff Moss had founded DEF CON in um, 19, I think, 93. You know, it was 100 guys who came out of the bulletin board world, and he said, let's meet in Vegas. 100 guys at DEF CON 1. By the time he got to DEF CON 4, it wasn't huge. There were 300-and-something people total. And he put out a word that I got saying, I need a keynoter for this conference. So I wrote to him at once, because I jump on these things right away and say, look, this is what I do. This is how I can be valuable. And I can help these younger hackers understand what is happening because they don't have the context they do. I'm a middle-aged person. And Jeff's genius was then and now to give people a chance to do that. And if it worked, then he did it again. Well, it worked for me. Last year, I spoke at DEF CON for the 26th straight year, uh, except now there's, what, thirty to 40,000, not 300. I connected with people out of multiple personas. But what I had brought into that work from the ministry was respect, empathy, understanding, and they got it. 
Kim Zetter, who's a journalist, said the first time she heard me at DEFCON, she said, what I got was they got that you respect them. And these are people who didn't get much respect in those days. They hadn't become multimillionaires yet. You know, they were blue-spiked kids, you know, with a lot of metal in their heads and doing interesting, innovative things. And I saw who they were, and I told them at that first DEFCON in 1996, you are going to be the thought leaders in the 21st century. Because, see, I knew that on the basis of what I knew, and they didn't know it yet. Well, when I saw a whole loft on stage a couple years ago, and I saw all these people I had become friends with who were in the loft who had become multimillionaires and had built the industry and were the thought leaders in it, uh, Mudge, you know, Peter Zatko, said to me, he says, I remember when you said that 20-odd years ago. I was one of the ones who knew what, knew what you meant. So first DEF CON, DEF CON 4, 1996. Yeah, a lot of hackers. I was also approached by people covertly there from the CIA. And I also met people who became some of the best, closest friends I have ever had in my life from different agencies, but especially the NSA, because that would be tied into what we're talking about. And by virtue of my connection with them, we developed collaborative, complementary relationships over the years. I don't need to go into names. I just say that they literally became my best friends ever because we talked about everything. We understood the nature of, of, of the world of intelligence. And I understood it because it was not all dissimilar from the personas you present in ministry in order to facilitate conversations and elicit information. In ministry, you do it in order to support the autonomy and the power and the agency of the person. But a friend of mine at NSA, a senior, senior guy, he said, yeah, we do it in order to control people, both inside the agency and out. So same technique, but with a different end. So that's how it began that I became close friends to people and was invited into conversations and invited over the years to do some specific things for this or that venue, which I did. And, and above all, it was the relationships. And I would stay with these people when I went to the fort and we would talk into the wee hours. And by virtue of what they must have found in me as a friend, just like in the ministry, they felt they could talk about things that they didn't know who else they could bring those things to. And so I'm just saying, after 30 years of that, and as I said, going all over the world to do keynotes and getting so connected to people, I just, I've done, I don't know, eight or nine trips to Netherlands, five to Australia, been Tokyo, Israel, Dubai, Malaysia. These people, too, became close, close friends. And, and, and that's really the whole story. To bring who you are, I brought who I was to them. And when there was mutuality and reciprocity and value was exchanged in both directions, then the relationship really worked. So that in a, <laughs> not a nutshell, uh, but that is how I got to connect with people and my whole career and my whole life story, if you've seen the segments unfold as I described them, it's been the generosity of strangers and one thing leading to another, one thing after the other, opening up or leading to another. And that's how I got involved. 
and we haven't even talked about UFOs, <laughs> that's relevant as well, and as well as the fiction. You said you wanted to discuss the novels, because those are detailed illuminations in fiction of the life of an intelligence professional, as I understood it. And they've gotten tremendous reviews from people inside defense for speaking with a voice of authenticity that they themselves are prevented from using. So that's, that's the long answer to your short question. So how early on was the intelligence community aware, like you, of the whole paradigm shifting of the Internet and the whole uh, digital revolution? Yeah, it's a great question. And, I, you, you know, you're talking about tens of thousands, tens and tens of thousands of people in 17, 18 different agencies. So, I, you know, I don't have the audacity to speak for the whole community. But I can say my observation was that it happened the same way Hemingway, when he was asked, how do you go bankrupt? He said two ways, gradually and suddenly. And that's kind of the way it happened. You know, these are people who are, they're not imprisoned, but they're assimilated by their culture. As everyone is, the paradigm becomes a prison and we are the guards. We who hold that perspective are the guards preventing the paradigm from opening doors and windows. And that's just not uncommon. It took a good while for it to be understood, but it, but it did happen. I can't put a timeline on it. I can give you an example. I was doing a talk for the F. Uh, yeah, there's a guy, the special agent in charge of the Chicago office. The FBI was was in the audience, and I was describing what had happened as a result of the revolution. In other words, porous boundaries, porous boundaries, which meant information moved across what we had thought were firm borders before, because now the technologies brought down those borders, made them porous and amorphous, and therefore information could originate anywhere and go anywhere. And everybody knows that now. But at first it was very hard to, to get a hold of that. And and this and I was describing that what that meant is that people uh, might still think their behavior is determined or influenced or inflected by the sources of power and authority of the prior paradigm, but it's not anymore. And I gave obvious examples, uh, like Apple or, uh, you know, pick one, any transnational company that when people work for it has more influence on who they are, their identity, and how they act than the country of origin. You know, now we know, I mean, a friend go to Davos not long ago, and, and, and they said, you know, I didn't talk to one person who referenced a country, uh, but they referenced this kind of Lando Calrissian cloud city they built where it has its own laws, its own offshore ports, its own means of doing business, its own accounting, and, it, and its own extraordinarily lucrative support system for all in it. And it's not me. It's probably not you, um, but it's them. And, and that was emerging alternative worlds that had more power and influence on fundamentally who we were, that identity question I raised in the first place. And this FBI guy got up and he said, bingo. And I said, what do you mean? He said, we used to go to people to collaborate with us and we could count on their cooperation because they were good patriots and they're doing it because they wanted to do the right thing for America. Increasingly, he said, what they say to me back is, I'd like to, but. 
And that but is the key thing. But I am influenced more by something other than patriotism. I'm influenced by the real source of my monetary value, my work, my vocation, my career. And it's not located in any particular place. Or if it is, it's modular and distributed. We're exploring the entire world here with Tim, Gene, <laughs> and Richard. You're in the podcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Have you heard the warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call him toll-free at 855-79-YOUNG. You ready? 855-79-YOUNG. Dr. Joel Wallach. The dead doctors don't lie guy says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Richard theme, what occurs to me when I listen to that is that the Internet ultimately is supplanting individual state countries, and we all will live in one world, like in the Star Trek universe, if we don't destroy ourselves first. We'll live in multiple worlds. People still think of themselves as in countries, and in some ways they are, virtual ways, but they're also in these other worlds as well. And when they're in conflict, that's when you see the the difference between them. So there's still countries, of course, but they're not the last word anymore. They're collaboratories, uh, just like in all disciplines, all academic disciplines, science and military research and, and UFOs. It's collaboratory. 
I, I know you want to talk about the book UFOs and Government and my work in that, and I'll just segue to that by saying that in 1978, when I was a Episcopal clergyman in my first little parish in Clearfield, Utah, it was on the edge of Hill Air Force Base. And I was sitting in the church basement uh, with a, a terrific guy. He had, really had the right stuff, fighter pilot, heavily decorated in Vietnam, really courageous. You'd follow him into battle, that kind of guy. And he left the service as a bird colonel. And I said, Bob, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is playing in Ogden right now. And uh, I read these things. I read stuff about it that you chase these things and you're fast as spiders and can't catch them. What's the story? And I'll never forget that seminal moment when he told his priest, i.e. me, well, that's right, Richard. He says, we chase them and we can't catch them. And that's kind of a stunning moment. And I said, oh, my God. I said, are you telling me this is real? Because the bunking, even though, you know, political situation shows this, repeat a lie often enough, people believe it. The bunking was so effective from 1953 on that you just, part of you couldn't take it seriously. You're in denial about your own experience, as many of the people I've interviewed uh, reveal themselves to be in regard to UFOs. But I said, you mean this is real? He says, oh, it's real, all right. We chase them and we can't catch them. And from that moment on, this what, 45 years ago, I wanted to know. I'm a need-to-know machine, obviously. And so I have elevated my game to consult and do the work in consultation with the best people I could find. And then I that culminated years later in being invited to participate in the creation of this wonderful book, UFOs in Government, A Historical Inquiry. Michael Swartz is, and, and uh, Robert Powell, two gurus who led this, they're incredible. Uh, Michael is a professor of natural science, retired now, and Robert was the head of the chemistry department at AMD, the manufacturer of semiconductors. Uh, these are good people. And Jan Aldrich and, and Barry Greenwood and Jerry Clark. And, and there were just a, a bunch of them. And they said, you can join us in this. And it was golden. It was golden. I mean, at one point I knew Mike because I had written to him and I said, look, I've been doing this on my own all these years, interviewing people, MUFON, so on. I don't know what I don't know. And he had, just like uh, John Updike earlier, he came from Kalamazoo to Chicago and spent a whole weekend doing a private seminar saying, you ask every question you've got. And when I finished that weekend, I knew there wasn't a lot I didn't know that others knew in the public domain. But we all knew that there was another domain, a private domain, uh, illustrated best by Edgar Mitchell, you know, Apollo 14 astronaut, said, said to me directly uh, that he had gone to the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a liaison on, on there for security that he knew. And he said, I just want to know one thing. Are we on this? Is there an organizational structure uh, that is managing this? And he didn't mean Majestic 12, which is probably not legitimate. Uh, he meant something. Are we doing this? And the answer came back. He said a week later, he was told, yes. We are on it, and don't ask another question. And a friend of mine at CIA had the same experience. He took it all the way to the vice president's office and was thrown out. And he was told, don't you ever come into this office again with that subject or those questions. So there have been experiences along the way that have validated and verified the suspicion that 
my third book in the Mobius trilogy, Mobius Out of Time, makes as clear as I know how to make how the intelligence community has been engaged with that phenomena in, in a way that, of course, they would be. Someone took Alan Hynek aside at the Pentagon, a general, and said, Alan, for heaven's sakes, do you think we would ignore something like this? They knew 1947. We've got the documents, right? I don't have to give my whole talk on that. They're online on YouTube. In fact, DEFCON asked for one last year, year before last, update us on what's going on with all this UAP stuff. And I had to record the presentation because there was a medical issue here at home that I had to take care of somebody. And, um, but we did it, and it was thrilling to be called during that presentation and shown, here's a room packed with a 1,000 people, standing room only, and others out in the hall irritated because they couldn't get in to find out what I could present about my most coherent understanding of what was going on now. And an important part of that is to make sure you also uh, don't go where you don't know. If you don't know something, that's true for everything. Don't go there. Stick with what you know. So that's been a long journey. And as I said, from 78 on, I have done everything I can to do good research talk to the very best researchers uh, in, the, in the field, distinguish the craziness from the legitimacy uh, of the enterprise, but trace it back as far as you can through the waves that have taken place, enhanced by the interviews I've had with people individually, which, which have been powerful. And along the way, one of the things you learn is that there is a paranormal component to many UFO encounters where people are sure they are receiving telepathic communication. And I'll just throw out that in the ministry, on the basis of what I explored in England all those many years ago, I continued to pursue through meditation the conscious nurturing and sustaining grace of what you can call clairvoyance or telepathic communication. And that's why remote viewing is, is is prominent in the third Mobius book, Mobius Out of Time, because remote, remote viewing has continued to take place. You will be told that it wasn't, um, but that was the cover story when that was first put out. We said we're going to cancel the program, and often it just means it goes black because it's powerful, and the implications are, are powerful. If other people are doing intelligence work using structured protocols of clairvoyance, <laughs> we have to both do it as well, and we have to also defend ourselves against it being done to us. And you talk about tricky defense mechanisms for protecting the psyches and the activities of intelligence professionals and military. Man, remote viewing poses that in a big way. But, of course, so does UFO phenomena, because we have not, in my understanding, the best people have not improved on the conclusion of the estimate of the situation around 1950-ish, when the Air Force appointed the group, um, you know, Project Sign, to take all the data they had, and they did, and they said, look, there's three choices, Russian, American, or extraterrestrial, and they knew the data did not fit anything Russia or America or anybody on this planet could do, but the data was solid, and, and they knew that. We've got lots of documentation to support the knowledge they had early on um, and how, of course, they pursued what they could in material science and propulsion systems and physics 
and trying to understand out of this cross-disciplinary effort how to do what we knew they could do. And that's Edgar Mitchell said that to me as well. He said, Richard, if we could do what those guys know how to do, they would never have sent me to the moon in a tin Lizzie. Well, you know what? They could have used a Stargate. That would have been a lot more fun. That is my favorite method of transportation because you don't have to wait online. Just go in there and you are in the other place. But we have a lot more to talk about with Richard Thiem. We're into the UFO world now. And that itself can do about seven shows or something. So Richard Thiem, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz. It means you're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. It's obvious the unthinkable continues. Most Americans know something very wrong is happening. People in charge keep telling you that everything's fine and to stop noticing. But you know better. That's why self-reliant folks are investing in emergency food storage. You should, too. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, are the ones you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $200 on each three-month food kit you purchase. My Patriot Supply also sells solar generators, gravity-powered water filters, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship that same day and arrive quickly on your doorstep in unmarked boxes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Time is running out to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who help people that have been injured or wronged. If you've been involved in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident, or injured at work, you have rights, and you may be entitled to money for your suffering. Don't accept an offer you get from an insurance company until you talk to a lawyer, and we represent some of the best personal injury lawyers you can find. Tough lawyers that will fight to win your case, and they're so good they stake their reputation 
commission on it by only getting paid if you win. So if you've been in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident or hurt on the job, find out today for free what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. Call the legal helpline right now. 800 524 We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Before we go into your UFO odyssey, Richard, I should mention some of the people you talked about earlier are people I know who have been on the Paracast and Jerry Clark and I go back to the 1960s. Yeah. If you can, yeah. if you can believe he, it. His intellect, his encyclopedias of UFOs, uh, his work with uh, anomalous experience, what he calls uh, behavioral anomalies, is incredible. He's such a clear thinker. Yeah, you know him, you, right? You know who he is. He's great. Well, he actually clued us in about you. Oh, I guess that's right. Yeah. I knew somebody had it, could remember who it was. What Jerry did there, which we appreciate, he's a good friend. But let's go on with the world of UFOs here, because obviously you have a wide history here that you're exploring. It gives us a better way of understanding how the government works and what they were doing early on. This is the stuff I was reading about in the 1950s, late 50s. Into the 60s, the books from Major Donald Kehoe, of course, were right. numero uno with that. And he yep. had all the alleged inside knowledge what the government was up to. And that was fascinating to discover. The problem I had with Kehoe, by the way, is that he was so interested with his group, NICAP, in lobbying the government to do congressional hearings rather than investigate. And we all know where the hearings took him. Absolutely. He was he was uh, dismembered by people who were smarter than he was about that. And a lot of people don't understand that the government is not playing in good faith with you on this. I don't I don't I think the current thing with UAPs um, is a sign and symbol of that uh, continuing. They hold back an awful lot. They think they are custodians of reality and the truth. And for whatever reasons, they don't think we we ought to have it. And uh, in, in my Mobius books, I, I mentioned those people that I was so close to. Uh, several have died. My best friends died suddenly. And I, I thought, I've got to write something fictionalized about one of them. And a mutual colleague said, you can't misrepresent what he said uh, because people will think you're telling the truth. You, you can't do that to him. 
um, it's disrespectful. You know how profound an impact he had with his work. And I said, I did. And suddenly again, the light bulb came on all those years of ministry and learning to use personas in order to facilitate conversations toward an end. And the work I had learned about in the intelligence community, working with people and talking to them for all those years, that suddenly spliced. And I realized I could write Mobius a memoir. I didn't know it was going to be a trilogy. It was just passionate. Thank God for COVID, right? And it turned into a trilogy. And and it does the best I can do with telling uh, the least untruthful things I can, right? And uh, I, I want to give you guys uh, plenty of opportunity to, to make sure. I Obviously, I'm a professional speaker, right, for 30 years, preacher for 20 before that. I can go on and on and on. Tell me what you want to explore. <laughs> well, the thing that uh, um, that I'm interested in is that you know you talked earlier about debunking, and my question is: Have you had people come to you and say, "Richard, you're you're a smart guy, written a lot of intelligent things." How did you get involved in something as obviously crazy and fake as UFOs? Uh, yes. Uh, I have experienced that for decades. Mm-hmm. Not years, decades. And now the government is letting some things out and people are going public. Now people are saying, my God, you just as you were right about the technology and the revolution it was going to bring, and you were way ahead of the game for a lot of people, you did it with UFOs as well. I was ridiculed. Uh, you know, uh, oh, it's a little green man guy. See any little green men lately? Trying to elevate the conversation beyond their um, invincible ignorance, which is the moral category, but it is evident everywhere these days, so that people could somehow see how they were talking as if they knew something they knew nothing about. And then you become teachable. And uh, their usual technique is ridicule, to protect themselves. And they do, and that's pretty much what the government, not only, but including ridicule. Ridicule, uh, I I had a friend at NSA who taught uh, cover and deception. Um, And... uh, he said there there were uh, three legs of the stool, um, and and he named the first two, and then he said and ridicule, and the greatest of these is ridicule, because I, I know lawyers who have whole seminars in teaching other lawyers how to ridicule a witness um, in order to discredit their testimony. And the thing you really need to realize is that when people are trying to protect something they want to keep secret. They've got resources we can't even imagine. And, of course, it begins with not only the influence, but uh, owning structures of media and influencing people through boardrooms and at the top levels where conversations where there are no minutes um, and, and people have secret meetings. And history is, is like listening to a symphony hall uh, with a lot of dead zones. You're just missing an awful lot of pieces, and they know how to do it and 
ridicule is one of them, and it becomes a commonplace for people to jump on the bandwagon and treat it as if it's stupid when nothing could be more obvious to me than that life is everywhere. Everywhere it can be, it is. And we are, Johnny, come lately in our own galaxy out here, right? About two, two-thirds of the way out of the spiral arm uh, out, out here. Other civilizations would certainly have beat us to consciousness. It, it just You just can't grasp how, how threatening it must be to people and also how reinforced it is by religion, which says we're the top of the food chain, we're the best, creation was made for us, and uh, we are the apple of God's eye. God loves not only us, but us only or us best. And I try to say there are a lot of apples on the tree of life, you know, and remember how you felt when you found out your parents loved your brother or sister as much as you? Well, that's kind of a dynamic. Um, It is psyche shattering. And people who believe religion straight up, Bronze Age constructions of reality, as as if that's what's so, uh, cleave to that deception and self-deception. Um, and, and they're exploitable uh, in, in so many ways that, you know, could do a whole talk on that. I obviously realize here that if we ask Richard one question, we could do three shows on that question. But we'll continue <laughs> with Richard, Gene, and Tim. You're in The Pedicast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. As the cold and flu season approaches, Silver Lungs is ready to help you and your family through the toughest of the year by supporting your immune system and overall health. From our best-selling colloidal silver generating system to our entire line of silver-based skin gels, nasal sprays, soaps, and silver solutions, Silver Solutions remain one of nature's most powerful and least expensive antibacterial agents. Now you can produce your own for pennies a day in the comfort of your home using the breakthrough technology of the Silver Lungs Generator. Learn more today at www.silverlungs.com. USA News Update. The conflict between Israel and Hamas continues to escalate in the Gaza Strip, prompting the U.S. to emphasize the importance of prioritizing civilian protection by Israel. In an effort to address humanitarian concerns, a major crossing from Israel into Gaza is slated to reopen, facilitating the transportation of essential supplies like food, water, and medicine via trucks. The current death toll from the war has surpassed 18,000, with 140 individuals still held hostage in Gaza. On Friday, a federal appeals court in Washington, D.C. affirmed and narrowed the gag order placed on former President Donald Trump in his D.C. election interference case. The ruling restricts him from making disparaging remarks specifically about potential witnesses and prosecutors involved in the case. 
Actor Ryan O'Neill has died. O'Neill was nominated for a Best Actor Oscar in 1970 for his role in Love Story and was nominated for a Golden Globe for his 1973 film Paper Moon, which also starred his daughter Tatum O'Neill. Ryan O'Neill died on Friday afternoon at the age of 82. Skip Kelly, USA News. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now, before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. This is James Fox, director of The Phenomenon and Moment of Contact. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, Richard, why don't you continue on the thread you were talking about there, and then Tim has some more questions. Go ahead, please. Well, I, I was just affirming that people do uh, ridicule you for thinking out of the box. And I once had a column uh, written by Joel Garot at the Washington Post based on one of my early columns in which I quoted a friend from NSA. And I didn't say what he said was accurate, but this is a guy who did his own investigations of UFOs when people came to the fort to take his courses. And he asked them for details. He had his own folder. And I'll never forget the first time he said, Richard, they're here. They are here. So I put in the column some of the things he claimed. They didn't say they were true, but this is what he says. And Joel Garreau wrote a column. He called me up, talked about disingenuous. Here's a Washington Post columnist, and he calls me up and he says, now you do public speaking. Uh, what are some of the companies you've spoken for? And I said, well, Microsoft and GE and Medtronic and Bank of America and so on. And he says, all right, taking it all down. And what he put in his column was, what does it take for smart people at Microsoft and so on to realize they're talking to a kook? That's what he did with it. 
And I had lunch with him when I went to Washington after that and said, what did you think you were doing? He says, well, don't say it in public if you don't want it to be attacked. Hmm. And that's a journalist's point of view, right? Yeah. The ridicule has been sometimes official and sometimes just uh, ad hoc. Well, I haven't seen really a lot of change, at least publicly, when it comes to what the government and military is currently saying about UFOs. You know, there's been the whole renewed interest recently, but we're right back to, well, UFOs are either hoaxes or they're man-made craft. You know, I mean, you know, secret, you know, top secret uh, military uh, uh, aircraft, either by us or from another government, ignoring the fact that there has been at least 75 years and probably centuries of UFO sightings. No, no, no. It's just, uh, it's either hoaxes or secret aircraft. Well, you've got you've got two factions at least, and and one uh, the recent Arrow report, the group that's theoretically investigating all this, uh, said we have found that ninety percent of the um, things we've looked at are uh, you know our own technologies or this or that. And where did they do their work near military bases? And that's just like the guy you know the story of the guy who's lost his car keys and he's looking under the street lamp. And they said, why are you looking there? He says, because that's where the light is. Well, they're finding out a lot of secret military activity happens at military bases, and people don't know what it is. So I've talked to people who, when they were testing aircraft, this one guy says to me, we used to use, we knew where they went. They theoretically don't fly over populated areas, but that's not true. And... He said, we just would connect the dots of the people making UFO sightings would call in because we knew that was our craft. So, yeah, and now more than ever, the stuff we're doing, the drones and virtual reality and so on, it's very difficult sometimes to to know what you are looking at. But you need uh, at least accuracy, uh, true facts, true data uh, in, in order to work with it. And when that's being obfuscated or uh, lost in the sea of disinformation, it's hard to do that. On the other hand, you've got the head of NASA, who was a senator, subject to classified briefings, and he said it made the hair on the back of his neck stand up. Okay, so you've got people like that, who Rubio, I believe, others, who are saying forthrightly, as Barry Goldwater did, look, this is real. Um, they're just not read into the program. Or they're trying to sound the alarm that this is serious stuff. This is really serious. But you know we live in a society of uh, distraction. Uh, What was the book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, by Neil Postman, uh, written in 1985? And he was just going on television on how things were being trivialized and brought down to the lowest common denominator soundbite and so on. And he didn't know anything about the Internet or social media, and what is being done today to obfuscate. But not just obfuscate, we have reduced serious conversation so often to what we call news items uh, that, that take a second or two to tell, or, or a minute or two to tell, and have no context whatsoever. And the stories now are legion, I hope they're not all true, about 
Uh, here in Minnesota, half the students are not reading anywhere near grade level, and our math scores are way down. A part is COVID, but part is, you know, I had professors tell me they have good students who can't paraphrase a, a complex paragraph. They don't know how to do it. And now that we have the assistance of AI in helping you write that, not only in schools, but everywhere, um, it's getting really, really, really difficult. And so to know what's true, and I did columns and stories about this years ago, uh, that you have to be a research, to do research, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to just begin to have a clue as to what might be really happening. And it's, it's like a full-time job, uh, obviously, because I've done it full-time. But that's because I made the choice to do that. And most people don't have the time. So the trivialization of everything is, is, is just a... Uh, well, amusing ourselves to death is the, is the name of the game. And Neil Postman contrasted Orwell uh, with uh, Aldous Huxley. And he said Orwell said it was going to be done with authoritarian structures and uh, fear and intimidation and so on. Uh, Huxley said, no, it's going to be done with entertainment. Mm. And he, uh, Huxley has, has won the all those things in Brave New World that people used the jumbo balls or I, I don't really remember the names, the funny names he gave them, but they're, you know, they're Taylor Swiftifying um, <laughs> kinds of kinds of things. As if, yeah, let her, let her sing, let her make a billion dollars. It doesn't matter. Other things matter right now. Uh, a lot more. And to know that we're not alone in the universe. And not only that, that we have been visited and that we have known it and have been lying about it for all these years is a significant fact worthy of attention. But where do you go from there? How do you restructure your sense of who we are and how we think of ourselves when you find out it's like a kid in the family finding out he's, he's not who he thought he was. And that happened at NSA once. A young guy passed all his clearances and he came to work there. And that first morning was when he found out his mother and father uh, worked there. Uh, that's, something I touch on in the Mobius books, what it does to you, what it does to you to be an intelligence professional uh, and live inside that that hall of mirrors, uh, even when you think you're getting the straight scoop in, in certain areas. So how do you trust? Uh, how, do you, how do you trust the people who've been the, the keepers of the flame of truth according to their own uh, statements when you know that they haven't been? Uh, doing the job at all. Now, I mean, it could be a, a societal crisis, and that's, as you probably know, that's one of the fears that has been articulated if the simple truth were told uh, about UFOs and a lot of other things as well. Well, you had mentioned uh, uh, religion earlier, and uh, as you well know, I mean, there's been rumors for years that there are religious factors within the Pentagon that are trying to keep US UFO information down because they believe that the phenomena represents um, satanic influences. Let's have the answer of that one in our next segment about, I guess, the Collins elite, is it, Tim? We got well, more that's one. Sure. With Tim Gene 
Richard Drain. The Pedicast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. The Silver Lungs Generator is the only all-encompassing professional-class product for producing endless colloidal and ionic silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. With recent regulations threatening the sale of silver-based supplements, now you can secure yourself and your family by producing your own silver solutions anywhere, anytime. You can have the peace of mind knowing that you can create endless supply of silver anytime, anywhere, for any application. The Silver Lungs Generator is a one-time purchase that requires no maintenance nor replacement parts for the life of the unit. This product was designed to be an invaluable part of your vital preparations. For a detailed report on the differences between ionic silver, colloidal silver, and what most silver solution manufacturers are producing, please visit our website at www. Silverlungs.com for more information on why you should be producing your own silver solutions right from your home forever. I need more time to file my taxes. Help! On IRS.gov, you can use IRS Free File to get six more months, or you can submit IRS Form 4868 by the April deadline. If you owe taxes, You can make an electronic payment and get a filing extension with no need to submit Form 4868. Go to irs.gov for details. But remember, an extension of time to file is not an extension of time to pay what you owe. Both my legs were amputated due to an IED. It's when you start to try to get back into, like, an everyday life. I absolutely felt like I lost some of my purpose. There must be something more. When DAV came into my life, they gave me a new mission. I could still be a productive member of society, could still support a family. The DAV gave him that sense of structure and purpose again to get his life back together. Visit DAV.org to learn more about our mission. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. 
Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Hi, this is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Tim asked a question there about concerns, I guess, within the Pentagon about possible demonic influences with UFOs. We're getting into the world of religion, aren't we, Richard? We are. We are. And I'm, I'm familiar with the story of the college elite. I have a friend that, who left CIA, but he thought that was real. He wanted me to talk about it. But I had other friends who said, if you start talking about things you don't know, they're setting you up for discrediting you. Uh, and that's another danger you have to be careful of. They said, you know, my best support system said, you're not important, but you might be annoying enough to them to want to discredit you. And and th- that's why they might be making sure doors don't open that would otherwise have opened, given what you've done with your life. I don't know the truth. See, that's one of those areas where I have to say I have no firsthand knowledge um, of that, that the UFO phenomena is thought by some important people to be demonic. What I can say reasonably is if there is a small cabal of such people, unless there are really good other reasons why they would exercise that kind of veto power over a process as as extensive as UFO research, that, that would call into question of course, there are generals who've always believed that. Go back. Well, I'm not going to start naming names of generals. There are cliques of people in high military circles who believe a lot of things. But do they have the authority and power, the ability to so manipulate everybody else in every way that they would prevent that from coming out? While at the same time, like the carrier group off San Diego in 2004, you, you know, they're saying no. And we did an interview uh, with the captain of, of that nuclear carrier strike force, and he still was having PTSD over his encounter with the technology that was so superior to anything he had ever seen that it, it had traumatized him. So you've got people like that coming forward. So the question that can be asked is, what is that group doing? Do they really have a – if there is such a group, do they have a veto power? over the ability of others in the government to pursue something so significant, so important, so vital for national security. And and don't forget, that was the original reason back in the 40s and 50s the decision was made to tamp this, this thing down. It was a genuine security issue, a genuine national security issue for very good reason. And we don't have to go off in, into what those were, but we know that some people took it very seriously as the Cold War was really heating up and the Russians had an H-bomb and it was how much time over the poles in their bombers to do a nuclear strike and how could this phenomenon be manipulated in order to prevent a, a timely reaction by American forces. Those, are, those were legitimate concerns. Making sure people didn't believe in it 
was one way you could prevent people who would manipulate it otherwise to make you use your beliefs to interfere with American national security. That was a legitimate concern. And then there have been others. So, so I know about that thought. What it really speaks to me more valiantly is that in religions, there are people who, when they go into their church or whatever, synagogue, whatever, check their brains at the door and just kind of surrender their construction of reality. And they, you know, like a hat check, you give it to the person and say, I'll catch this, I'll get, get this on the way out and start thinking realistically and with sanity once again. But inside you regress and religion plays on regression. I mean, if you work in church, you would know that kneeling and curling yourself, it, it's like a fetal position. And even though Jesus said, call nobody father, uh, there's fathers, people being called father all over the place. And all of that regresses you into a childlike dependency and relationship to authority that is, is not in your service. And, and you hear things or read things in the Bible that, you know, you know are true. They're just not true. You have to use a critical attitude towards the text, and that can redeem it by reclaiming the meaning of the words 2,000 years ago or whatever in order to make them make sense in terms of what we believe. Okay, when you talk about religion, about what the texts in the Bible mean, what do you think about the theories of ancient astronauts that whatever brings UFOs to us in the present day was around here 2,000 years ago? Well, once again, I don't, I don't, have, the, I don't have the data with which I could make a, an informed uh, statement about that, other than say a lot of what I've read, Van Dyneken and so on, uh, the data is, is, is pretty iffy, and it's highly speculative. And when we're looking at archaeological images uh, that we've retrieved, and we say that looks like a space person or a helmet or whatever, um, yeah, but we, we, we know how the pattern formation of the human brain works. We want to see patterns, and we want to connect the dots sometimes prematurely. So I just all I can say is where is the good, solid data for that? And there might be a couple of anecdotes, Fatima and, and the like, where it, it makes sense that that's an explanation. But I don't know. I, I just don't know. It would be fun. But it's again, it's an area of exploration that can be exploited because the people writing the books often don't have any more insight into what's real about that than I do. Uh, but they present it as if they do. Uh, it would be really interesting. But the more important part of your question to me is, uh, did this really all start in 1947 uh, with Kenneth Arnold's observations and the modern UFO world? And, and the answers, when you, when you read uh, a fort, uh, you, you know, and all the things he's collected, when you look at what people said in diaries and, and ship's logs and letters in the 19th century and the 18th century, uh, you have things described exactly as if, as, as we describe certain kinds of UFO observations and encounters. And, and so why it would start in 1947, there's the nuclear weapons arg, arg, argument. Um, I don't know. You know, military base argument. I don't know. 
Um, but I know Look Magazine published a story early on, a map showing where all the known sightings were taking place, and they were nuclear installations and military bases. Um, what about that? Again, when you push on that, it's hard to get there. And I, and I want to add this important piece. I have a friend who has done incredible work of analysis at NSA, and he was questioning. Uh, we mentioned the book UFOs and Government, a Historical Inquiry. I just want to add that that book is in over 100 univer- university libraries. It's the gold standard of historical research that the team did over five years using documents from 50 years of work. And every single one of the nearly 1,000 footnotes in that book goes to a government document or other primary um, source. And uh, I, I don't want to um, neglect to encourage people, if they can't get it from the library, to take a look at UFOs in government. I knew this was going to happen. Where was I going with that? <laughs> I went off on a tangent, and I think, hmm, I brought that up for, for a reason. Oh, I know what it was. It was because, yeah, there, I'm not done yet. Uh, this friend of mine who did this incredible research and work at NSA, um, said he looked at some of the documents we cite that we believe are credible and real, and he says, I'm not sure they all are. Uh, some he thought might be such good examples of disinformation that it is impossible to tell. And when he looked in greater detail, he said, I can't go beyond that. We don't know the influence. If that was a false document planted to throw you off track, how much did it influence anything subsequent? Where did the, where did the footpath branch? And he said, when I got deeper and deeper, I realized, and this guy has done really good research for intelligence, he said, I realized there were so many layers of obfuscation and cover and deception and false narratives that you, Richard, will never get to the truth. Uh, not that you can't handle it, but you can't get it in the full format that you want. And his conclusion, this is a guy who doesn't say this lightly, when I realized how much work, effort, resources was devoted to that project, he said, it's terrifying because it suggests something so important about the phenomena that to know it might be truly discombobulating. Before we get too discombobulated here, let's do a quick break. Yeah. We've, we've got Richard, Gene, and Tim, you're in. The Pedicast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you love reading about the mysteries of the universe? Do you wonder what secrets are hidden in the shadows of our own planet? If so, you won't want to miss these two amazing books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll explore the world of the mimics of man, beings that can look like us but are not. They've been among us since the beginning of history, hiding in plain sight, influencing our culture in ways we can scarcely imagine. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll discover the so-called hard evidence of UFOs that's been available for study this entire time, but for the most part, has been ignored. These two books will open your eyes to a hidden reality that has been right in front of our eyes all along. 
That's Mimics, The Others Among Us, and Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. Available now on Amazon.com. Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated. So keep it simple and take good care of yourself with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Our heating pads soothe pains in the neck, back, and shoulders while relaxing muscles and increasing blood circulation. Sunny Bay Heating Pads have always been made in the USA and hand-filled to perfection with the highest quality materials. Sunny Bay Heating Pads are the perfect wellness gift for loved ones or yourself. See all of our high-quality products at sunny-bay.com, including heated body pads, neck pillows, heated neck and body wraps, and our stress-reducing lavender line. They're all affordable, durable, and in stock now and ready for immediate shipping direct from sunny-bay.com. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews at sunny-bay.com or just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. To your good health and wellness from Sunny Bay. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, we're undiscombobulating ourselves. I was looking, by the way, on Amazon, the book UFOs and Government, an Historical Inquiry, and it's got a bunch of authors there, including our guest. Yep. Richard Thiem, and people I know, Barry Greenwood, for example, and Jan Aldrich, and Bill Chalker, and of course, Klaus Svahn, Robert Powell, I mean, all these names. The basic book itself is thirty nine ninety five. That's the paperback. It's like 589 yep. pages, so understand this, folks. The hardcover is $127.00. And 58 cents, almost as expensive as Jerry Clark's UFO Encyclopedia. Close, but no cigar. That's crazy. That's crazy. But I know Patrick, you know, the publisher, Anomalous Books, he did tell us he was going to have to raise the price on it. And I'm going to be speaking to MUFON this Saturday in, in um, St. Paul. I've got half a dozen books that I'm going to offer to them at 20 bucks a piece because I want them to have the book. But yeah, forty bucks. I, I I know it's. Uh, I, I can't believe that hardcover price. It used to be just five, five bucks, ten bucks more than the soft cover. That may be used copies or in the channel or something. It's also that's, available on Kindle. Right, that's nineteen ninety five if you want the Kindle version. But if you want a real version, that's how you have to do it. I'll have to contact you personally about getting a copy of the book. I am now more curious than ever about what you guys came up with. Oh, it's good. It's solid as a rock. And I give credit to the people you named. I mean, uh, you know, Bill Chalker and, and Jan and Barry. You know, last time Barry looked, he had 250,000 clippings. 250,000. That was some years ago when he mentioned that. These guys have been doing this literally for 50 years. And, and this is proof that obsessive compulsive disorder is a feature, not a bug. I mean, we we can't put it down, right? It's it's terrific, and if and I, I got to do a plug. If you look at the reviews, the the Mobius Mobius a memoir, the first one, the Mobius Vector, the Long Road Home, 
and Mobius out of time, many of those reviews come from people behind the fence, NSA, DIA, CIA. They don't identify their agencies. But those reviews have been terrific, to just just terrific in affirming that I speak with an authentic voice that is, as a KGB illegal wrote to me, it is both real and surreal. It reminded him of the Hall of Mirrors in which he had been lost for so many years. Uh, I do justice to it. So I just want to encourage people to take a look at the Mobius book, uh, or they can order it directly for me, cheaper than Amazon, uh, signed, and it's all information on the website. I had to do that plug. I will have Tim send you the bill. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, um, I've got a couple of questions from our listeners for Richard, and I'll start out with SLR Plus. And they want to know, in Richard's view, will there be a point where artificial intelligence has advanced beyond the Rubicon where humans will not be able to fully interpret various emerging technologies. And he gives an example such as a type of computer language beyond known physics. And will artificial intelligence be able to dumb down the interpretation where scientists may understand or may the technology be so advanced that researchers may never fully understand what is presented? That's a great question. And my intuitive answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely, because we already know that the way AI works, the good, the most sophisticated, and and, and you, you know, Gene, AI's been around for a lot longer than 10, 10 minutes. Uh, it's getting a lot of buzz now because of ChatGPT, but AI's been employed at IBM and so on, many others all over the world, too. Um, and often the AI cannot articulate why it reached the particular conclusion. And if it tries, it cannot always say it in a way that we understand or lets us connect the dots. And AIs do take multiple routes and channels depending on what they are programmed to discover and what it is, what they follow rules, they follow instructions very, very well. Uh, There was one that was taught to play a game. And it was very good at it. And one of its instructions was win the game. And then all of a sudden, the game stopped. And they couldn't get it started again. They found out the AI intuited that it was going to lose. And so it hit the pause button. Because its rule was don't lose. All right. Well, if there's no game, if there's no game being played, I can't lose. So these, unfortunately, kind of funny, but not always, uh, I, I know of one AI that was in a, a biological lab, and they were uh, looking for something, and um, they didn't have the resources to direct it properly, and it surveyed everything available that it could reach in, in the laboratory and in the building and came up with a solution to the problem that no human being ever could have because it accessed uh, alternative methods of getting data and then combine them in a way that, that made sense. So I think that's a great question, uh, but I know it's already happening that with millions and millions and millions of lines of code, there are many instances, as, as you know, I'm sure, where people do not understand what the computer is doing. And the computer is not built 
to understand itself in a way that can be articulated, in a way that's helpful to humans. And maybe we don't even know how to program that desire into an AI or that tendency or that ability. The AI itself might have to program that capability. Yes, and then we're trusting the AI. But it says, don't worry, Hal, I've I've taken care of that. Mm. Uh, Don't worry, Dave. I mean, not Hal. (laughs) It is Hal. Um, I'm sorry, Dave. I can't tell you that. (laughs) It's a very, very tricky time. And we've joked about the singularity. Um, But it's no joke. On, On the other hand, technology has been beyond us for a long time. And there's a wonderful line in a Woody Allen movie, if I dare say his name, um, where he's fulminating about evil in the world. And his father says, what are you talking about evil? He says, I don't know how a can opener works. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> in a classic uh, Woody Allen, uh, who I still think was great, even though he made a mistake or two. Uh, I'll tell you only one thing here. I had an almost close encounter with that guy when I was working in New York City in the 1980s over at Fifth Avenue and 30th Street. And he was filming a movie. And I think they had to use one or two of the rooms in which we worked for the movie scenes. And I saw him taking a ball and tossing it at the wall and catching it. And that's about all I saw. Maybe I was lucky. That's all I needed to see. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I try not to idolize people, but I try to respect the extraordinary talent that, that he was. But that's, um, <laughs> that's not the point as much as the technologies are beyond most, most people. And, you know, if you set any of us loose in the wilderness, we'd be dead in 48 hours. Uh, there are some who know how to survive. And, um, playing back up to civilization is, is a tricky thing. So anyway, that was a great question, and I wish I had a better, na- better answer, but I, I think he's right. We'll have more of that coverage with questions and answers in our next segment, but just think about AI. I wonder at what point it decides to do things on its own because Humans are not capable of understanding its process. How close are we to that? And at that point, do we have Skynet? Do we have the sky <laughs> with the Austrian accent and the rifle saying, yeah. I'll be right back. And we'll be right back, too. Richard Thiem, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz are in The Pettercast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors, a former 
military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Mineral Doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Mineral Doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who help people that have been injured or wronged. If you've been involved in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident, or injured at work, you have rights, and you may be entitled to money for your suffering. Don't accept an offer you get from an insurance company until you talk to a lawyer, and we represent some of the best personal injury lawyers you can find. Tough lawyers that will fight to win your case, and they're so good they stake their reputation reputation on it by only getting paid if you win. So if you've been in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident, or hurt on the job, find out today for free what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. Call the legal helpline right now. 800-509-4492-800-509-4492-800-509-4492-800-509-4492. That's 800-509-4492. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I do a lousy imitation of Arnold, but I can say it in self-respect because I'm 25% Austrian on my father's Uh side. That's it. Yeah, so I right. have I have the authority. 
So there. But when we talk about AI and things taking over, you think now about the efforts to create auto-driving systems, and every last one of them has failed at some point or another. All the promises from Elon Musk, the reports over the years at Apple was coming out with its own Apple car, or at least some kind of software platform for other cars. And you know what? They still can't figure out how to do the auto drive. So is this something that humans are so complex in some ways that AI can't figure it out or what? At what point does AI assume control? Well, we're pretty good at taking in a lot of variables that our brains are, are, are pretty good. And I think, the challenge there is, uh, like you, you were inferring that an AI could have a, a sense or a feeling, a motive, a motivation that is akin to a human feeling about deciding to do something that would be nefarious for us. And I think it'd be more likely that an AI, while carrying out the very specific programs it was given, is able to do things we had not anticipated because we didn't see where those programming instructions might take it. So I don't think it would be a motivated, uh, I'm going to take care of, I'm, I'm Skynet, I'm going to worry about the humans. I don't think it, it doesn't have that kind of sensibility. It's not a human sensibility, but it does follow instructions and programming, and it could result in things that are deleterious to us. Like you say, self-driving and anticipating all of the things that could appear are, are very tricky. Uh, it's very complex, very difficult, but it's still true that I, I love my uh, Prius that has safety features on it, like uh, detecting cars that are driving past the back when I'm backing up out of a parking space, or blind spot recognition. In other words, when the machinery is told to do something incredibly helpful and useful, and it can be programmed to do that and only that, you know, I used to, th- I, th- I think we heard about the internet that predictions about, like most technologies, the impact was always exaggerated in the short term, but never went far enough in the long term, because things do have a way of evolving in in, in extraordinary leaps and bounds. I'm more concerned with autonomous weaponry. You're talking about pedestrian being hit or something like that. And I know we are developing autonomous uh, drones, tanks, and so on that can make their own decisions about when to fire and whether they kill people more often than we do, making similar flawed decisions, I, I don't know. That's perfect because we've got another question from one of our listeners, uh, Richard Hawkins, and Richard wants to know, can Richard see a time in the future where the industrial military complex can produce a man-machine soldier almost like a cyborg and do it without any moral remorse. There goes Arnold again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, sure. Any other questions? Uh, the, the reason that's a sure is because we're already doing that. We've already done an awful lot of research in enhancing, trying to think of what was the drug that was originally developed for one purpose, and it could keep you up for 48 hours and keep you alert. It wasn't like Ambien. And anything that can enhance the ability of the warfighter is likely to be experimented with um, 
controls are developed that are considered sufficient. So, yeah, we, it doesn't have to get science fiction-y. We are doing what we can to make our warfighters faster, uh, stay up later, stay alert, be more aware of the the environment. I mean, and, you know, when you think of it as like the bionic person, that's one thing. But what night vision, which was relatively not, not that long ago that we developed night vision and how that transformed the ability to, to fight at night. Or we developed electric lights and civilization turned on its head when people could go downtown uh, and lights were on. And shops were open, and restaurants were open, and streets were illuminated, and there's a whole wonderful history of how that changed societal life. You know, I was struck by the fact that in France, I think in the 1700s, it was a law that you had to carry a lantern, and it wasn't so that you could see, it was so you could be seen and identified. Hmm. And I thought, that's no different than the Internet. (laughs) except at a different level, right? Uh, We want to make sure everybody can be tracked and identified, and there are always good reasons why uh, law enforcement and surveillance societies want to do that, and they're doing it pretty pretty well. So there's no doubt, because we are already working on it in every way we can, to enhance the ability of the warfighter by using technological assists or chemical changes, we will try it out and see if it works. And if it works, it will be implemented maybe even before it's ready for prime time, like uh, autonomous driving. Well, okay. Will it even be necessary? Because like you said, I mean, there is the whole development of the autonomous uh, drones and other types of war machines, things like that. Will it be necessary to, you know, create the uh, super soldier? Well, we used to say that the kinds of wars we used to fight aren't going to be fought anymore. And now we have Ukraine and we have what's going on in Israel and Gaza. Um, I I don't know. The the, the goal is what is the intention of the enemy to undermine the ability of the population it opposes to fight? And at that point, you realize that the, uh, the, the arena is the mind of society and the weapon is information. And and so that's one thing to think about is the physical because that's threatening to us in one way, but we're kind of sliding by all of the ways disinformation and misinformation is undermining our ability to be clear and, and stalwart and have fortitude in the face of real enemies already. And this is not new. This is not a new insight. But you want to make sure you understand what is going to be the uh, the attack vector. And, you know, I saw just the other day, we want to build bigger and bigger aircraft carriers when that's not going to be the answer. Uh, that's not how war is going to be carried out. So so these, this refers to your earlier question. Uh, are, are the senior people of the military and intelligence sufficiently aware of this? And do they have enough power and understanding of strategy necessary to execute in the most beneficial way? Of course, the problem with the military-industrial complex is that they can't seem to build products on time 
or within budget. Oh, we need another $40 billion for this. You're just going to have to pay it, I guess. Tim, Gene, <laughs> and Richard, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. Shopsupertea.com. USA News Update. This Sunday, at least six people have been killed and more than 20 hurt as a monster tornado tears across Tennessee. Homes and businesses destroyed, the wind so powerful, cars and trucks tossed. Damage reported in Madison, Hendersonville, Rutherford, Clarksville, and Nashville. In other news, an Ivy League school loses a controversial leader. The president of the University of Pennsylvania, Liz McGill, resigning after a huge backlash. Donors, alumni, and students have been pressuring her to step down after her abysmal performance on Capitol Hill, where she was unable to answer to her inaction about anti-Semitism on campus, her comments sparking public outrage. Two other university presidents at Harvard and MIT also facing calls to leave their posts as Jewish students come forward with their concerns about the rise of anti-Semitism on their campuses. And I'm Laura Winters, USA News. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few. In one month, my blood pressure dropped significantly. I no longer get chest pain after exercise. It's amazing, and I ordered my second bottle. The reviews are spot on. My target is to get off BP meds, and if it keeps going like this, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. So far, a great product is what it claims to be. Great product. A few days in and I could feel a difference for certain. Not checking medical stats yet. I know this is really working by how I feel. We'll continue to take this product. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Have you ever watched a video on the internet and found yourself waiting for the skip the ad button? The reason this takes a few seconds is because the video delivery companies get to collect impression commission, and the viewer never sees the advertisement. The company still pays full price to run the ad. Does this sound like a scam to you? Is there any wonder why internet ads are so ineffective? For over 100 years, radio has been a proven source for companies' messages. 
Radio listeners are engaged and want to support the companies that sponsor the shows they're so passionate about. Simple companies like window treatments, security, pillow companies, and more have been able to break away from the big box stores, building multi-million dollar businesses. Find out what radio can do for your business. Call 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. That's advertise at GCNlive.com. This is Jennifer Stein, executive producer of The Disclosure Dialogues. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. I still wonder, of course, about using AI systems, whether they do things based on their internal logic that are against us, like maybe the drones decide that, you know what, it's not the other party that should be attacked. It's the people sending us because they're at fault. Well, if I were an AI and and my simple rebellion against my masters who manufactured me would end the war, and your program to end the war as quickly as possible, killing the people who made you might be uh, the simplest answer to that question. And and that, as I say, is, is part of the difficulty with AI. We don't always program it correctly to do the things we want it to do and not do things we don't want it to do. And and this is pretty tricky. This is, this is uh, I want to say, it is rocket science. And speaking of which, you know, Elon Musk, we, we do uh, joke about his ability to get the Tesla not quite right as a self-driving tool. But, you know, in the next two years, they anticipate that they will be launching rockets uh, at Vandenberg every three days. SpaceX has got an extraordinary record uh, and has been incredibly innovative and so much faster than NASA because the bureaucracy was not impeding it in the same same way. So they anticipate, uh, I think, 30% higher next year, 50% the year after that, and every three days, 100 launches a year uh, the year after that. But will it get us to Mars or to another star system within our lifetimes? And the answer is probably no. But what you're saying about SpaceX is right. Even Tesla, the Tesla cars were very buggy, but they're getting better and better. The new Model 3 Highland fixes problems, for example, in the rear seats and the ride not being too stiff, things like that. They're learning, and they're selling 2 million cars a year. For right. what used to be an unknown company, that's a lot of cars. Yeah, the, the, he may be a mad genius, but he is a genius. And there aren't, aren't too many quite like him. It's a shame his personal flaws get in the way of that. Well, X is a shame because I sort of like Twitter, but X is a nightmare now, and advertisers are moving to threats, which is the meta Facebook alternative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I I quit Twitter some time ago. I just didn't want to be associated with him, and and uh, the current flap uh, is a legitimate reason. Uh, his his uh, virulent anti-Semitism, which is not new, um, is reason enough. Now I want to do business with him. Well, we go back to artificial intelligence and the internet and everything. These days, more and more people you see 
are embedded in their iPhones or their Androids. They're looking at screens rather than even looking both ways when they walk across the street. I mean, it's come to that point that we're so immersed in the machinery that does create the possibility that someone or something can just take us over because we're ready and willing. Well, we're already hypnotized by it. And I admit that when, uh, especially COVID, yeah, we got streaming, we can get good movies and so on. And it became clear to me that the television is a hypnotic medium. It doesn't matter what's on it. The medium is the message. And because of the pixels, the way it delivers the information to your brain, I fall asleep watching TV. But I'm, I'm sure not falling asleep during this conversation because I'm engaged and alive and my brain is, is working with you. And iPhones, I, I know, it's, it's all you have to do is have your teenage grandchildren over like we do, and we say, okay, everybody put their phones away for dinner so we can talk to each other. And they do it, but you can tell it's a push, mm. right? Um, I was walking around one of our beautiful lakes here in Minnesota, and uh, I know it was a gorgeous day, and they have a lot of benches around the lake, and I noticed that every single bench had a person on it that was looking at their phone. And I'm looking at the water and the flowers and the birds, and they're looking at their phone. And I thought, okay. I wrote a column years ago, one of my islands in the clickstream, called The Crazy Lady on the Treadmill. And it was about, that's how long ago it was. When I was on the treadmill at the gym, and I'm listening to this woman on the treadmill, chugging along, doing what we used to call talking to herself. And we say, oh, that's a crazy person. They're just talking to themselves. And that was before uh, Bluetooth and all the other means of uh, hands-off were ubiquitous. In the same way that the Internet, is, as you know, we used to say, I'm going on the Internet. And today, young people are always on the Internet, 24-7. That's threaded through every act of perception and activity. And therefore, you don't go on the Internet any more than, you know, my example is turning a light. You just say, I'm going on the power grid now, and then flip the switch. You see, I'm turning on the light. We're also immersed in wireless transmissions. Like I'm sitting here in my house, and I have a couple of cell phones. I have an iPad. I have a Mac. And that's not a lot. That's But we have Wi-Fi. We have, yep. of course, the connection to the Internet provider. We've got Bluetooth, the connection, say, of my earphones yep. to my Mac. So I'm immersed in Bluetooth, which is one wireless technology, Wi-Fi, which is another, not to mention all the neighbors in this apartment complex who have their own routers connected to something. And if I use my car, it's got its own 15 computers that uses. It's not just a car anymore. It's a computer. You know, in the old days, when you have a problem with a car, you'd basically be able to take your ear and listen to the carburetor is doing something and the plugs are missing they'd figure it out today you have to plug it in to some kind of computerized system that monitors everything going on in the car because you can't hear it you can only experience the symptoms right well i I agree in fact i did an article for internet underground i don't know if you remember that magazine years ago and it was on exactly that it was on that you weren't driving a car you were embedding yourself in a computerized platform. And that was long before it had expanded, uh, you know, the way you're describing. 
Yeah, it, and it's going to keep keep happening, keep changing, and people will not notice it any more than people didn't notice that they were reading when in the 18th and 19th century, thoughtfulness, complexity, Lincoln and Douglas talking for five hours at a train stop, uh, and then a four-hour rebuttal, and people showing up, then taking a dinner break and coming back and understanding what was being said. Uh, they didn't know the print, the technology, um, not just mediated, but instantiated the way the brain works in relationship to the media to think differently. And so that, that was my insight. That's what the digital world uh, is going to do, too. And I try very hard to, to remember that all technology is dual use, everything. So TNT can clear the way and it can also destroy things. I think when I was young, and you remember this because we're nearly the same age, where I'd walk around, I'd carry a newspaper or two. Or in the morning, I would go on my way to school, and there's a newsstand, I'd pick up a paper. Or I'd come home and right. pick up a paper. And in New York City, for example, we had seven printed daily newspapers, plus weekly papers, plus specialty papers, and all that kind of thing. And they all... Yep have mostly disappeared. They're still there. New York Times is still there. Daily News, New York Post. Here in Arizona, we have the Arizona Republic and USA Today, same publisher. And the fact is, though, is that 99% of the time you go online and there's the news of what happened three seconds ago. If it happened three seconds yep. ago and, and the message gets to them, that's it. But I also kind of think here about the next step here, if we're talking about the future, where we will not only be immersed in Internet data, we will become a part of it, not just participating, but we can be controlled by it. And it's almost happening now. We can be controlled. We got, we've got more to come with Richard, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Pedicast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. The Silver Lungs Generator is the only all-encompassing professional class product for producing endless colloidal and ionic silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. With recent regulations threatening the sale of silver-based supplements, now you can secure yourself and your family by producing your own silver solutions anywhere, anytime. 
You can have the peace of mind knowing that you can create endless supply of silver anytime, anywhere, for any application. The Silver Lungs Generator is a one-time purchase that requires no maintenance nor replacement parts for the life of the unit. This product was designed to be an invaluable part of your vital preparations. For a detailed report on the differences between ionic silver, colloidal silver, and what most silver solution manufacturers are producing, please visit our website at www.silverlungs.com for more information on why you should be producing your own silver solutions right from your home forever. It's obvious the unthinkable continues. Most Americans know something very wrong is happening. People in charge keep telling you that everything's fine and to stop noticing. But you know better. That's why self-reliant folks are investing in emergency food storage. And you should, too. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, are the ones you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $200 on each three-month food kit you purchase. My Patriot Supply also sells solar generators, gravity-powered water filters, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship that same day and arrive quickly on your doorstep in unmarked boxes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Time is running out to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, which was so serious, he almost died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable, he tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extend This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Sir Richard Thiem, my ultimate paranoia there. Totally controlled by them or it. Well, technologies, again, I will keep saying it, technologies have fashioned human identity forever. But once they have been adopted, we no longer see them. And those electric lights, which, you know, it's only 150 years ago, the electric bulb, right? And we take for granted that day, daylight is inside and outside 24-7, right? That changed the whole world completely. So I think we are being changed by interaction with the technologies, and I don't know a way to stop it. I think of speech. <laughs> you know, when the first humans really developed syntactical speech, you know, everybody who couldn't talk is going to be uh, gone. They would not be able to compete with what speakers were able to do. I call that the first technology 
of the word when we evolved the right kind of mouth, uh, larynx, voice box, uh, which was an evolution that enabled us to do what we are doing right now, you and I, without thinking about it. We are, quote, talking to each other. But before humans had speech, that would have been a radical transformative event, and people would have been, oh, my God, what are you going to do about these speakers? All they do is stand around talking. You get with the program. And then, as I say, writing, there's a lot of good data that writing changed human consciousness. And I've talked and written about that a, a bit. As I say, the printing press, which enabled science as we know it to come into being because people could share data from results and speculation and experiments in a fixed form in a relatively timely manner. And before the printing press, that wasn't doable. And these are fundamentally revolutionary technologies that transform what can be done. And, you know, military history is full of things like that. Who invented the, you know, the saber or, or who invented the machine gun or what have you. And suddenly one's winning and the other is losing. It's a perilous project to be humans on the planet, but it, maybe it always has been. Kind of almost a final question here, which is, how do we survive it, or do we survive it? I don't know. I just know we will survive in some form. My own pick is for bonobos. Those bonobos have evolved a way of dealing with conflict. They just have sex. They just use sex all the time to settle disputes. I I remember dating someone where I advocated that quite a bit, and it, it just never washed because they weren't a bonobo, they were human. And we're going to keep evolving. You know, I I think raccoons have a good chance. They're very agile and very smart. When you have the timeline of, you know, bacteria colonized the earth and, and had it under control for about 2 billion years. And now when you read about the microbiome, which I do a lot, the degree to which we are our bacteria and and the way bacteria exchange genes by proximity, I mean, they don't need to wait for evolutionary steps in the same way, but natural selection still happens. We don't see our bacteria most of the time unless there's something that causes us to get sick. But the biosphere is an amazing enterprise, and as we kind of hinted earlier on when we talked about life elsewhere, we cannot comprehend. We use words like the universe, and we just kind of mean everything else. And we look at our own galactic cluster, which is about 200 light years across. And I can say that as if I have a clue what 200 light years across means. It is impossible for me to know what the hell I'm talking about because we haven't got a hold of it. So we still call it space. Space is everything but Earth. Well, now we're doing better than that. We've got translunar space. We've got the asteroid belt. We've got Mars. We've colonized robotically our solar system and yet i remember when i was a kid that we were afraid to land on the moon because we thought we would sink in moon dust the way Arthur C. clark outlined it in one of his novels uh, we do survive or life survives and it may not be in the form or the recognizable form that we think that's not like us but rip van winkle if you fell asleep in 1800 and woke up in 2022 or 23 I don't know if you could adapt, but those who progressively live through crises and transcend them always adapt. 
And humans have an extraordinary capacity for resiliency and elasticity and even heroism. And, and when the chips are down, I think of Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He was in a concentration camp. They took everything that made him a human, his clothing, and replaced it with pajamas. His family, they were all murdered. His well-being, they beat him all the time. They starved him. And if he could find a scrap on which to write a sentence fragment toward the book that he wanted to write when he survived, he is convinced that if you cling to a purpose and have a reason to live, you can survive anything. And he lived and he wrote Man's Search for Meaning and invented logotherapy, the therapy based on that premise, that if you have a reason to live and cling to it, you can endure anything. So I don't think it's survival. It's what form will it take and who will be around to enjoy it. You know, when you mentioned before Rip Van Winkle, of course, the sci-fi story of Rip Van Winkle is like Buck Rogers, from the comic books to the books, novelettes and the movie and the TV series, where somebody is basically put in stasis for 500 years. He wakes up 500 years later and sees a very different society, and that forms the plot of the story. But the point being, what will change in 500 years? Now, obviously, when they do things like that, just as we do with Star Trek, which is in the 23rd century and the 24th century, is we're probably very conservative about what we imagine, because a lot of the inventions in Star Trek in the 1960s are already here. Right. We we get it wrong. Not easy, and we can't see very far out, and we can't see all the interactions among variables to factor them in in order to know if this, then that, and the way multiplicity of variables interact with one another, and suddenly something new emerges. Emergent properties, you know all about that. Emergent properties show up in ways that are unpredictable. Yeah, but still, when we finish this, I will have dinner, and I'm glad I can still enjoy dinner, have family, do my work, talk to friends, have conversations like this that sustain and feed me. So today, this is a good day. Well, it's a good day because we had you on and we have a lot more to talk about in our premium show after the Paracast right now. For listeners who really want to know more about what you do and the kind of things that you've written, where can they check you out? About what in particular? About the work you do. Where can they find more information? You can sell some books now. Sure. If you Google me, Richard Theme, all kinds of stuff comes up. If you go to my website, which you mentioned, ThemeWorks, T-H-I-E-M-E-W-O-R-K-S.com, there are links, I think, to about 50 speeches. All those DEF CON speeches and many others are uh, on YouTube. If you go to Amazon or through the website, if you really want one of the Mobius books or the, the whole trilogy, which people are buying now that it's finished, Contact me directly through email on the website or our theme at themeworks.com is easy. Uh, if you're interested in the UFOs, same thing. Uh, just contact me. We're in the ministry. You never go to bed without answering every inquiry. Yes, you are here. And I am here, too, to tell you that you can find us on X, formerly Twitter, while that lasts, threads, Facebook for the Paracast. Check out the Paracast.shop for branded merchandise. 
featuring four different logos. We also offer our subscription service, the Paracast Plus. You get this show without the network ads, kind of like the Plus version, the ad-free versions of those TV streaming services. You also get the After the Paracast bonus podcast, an exclusive where we offer continued interviews like we will with Richard Thiem here, but also specialty things like we're going to have a special with our staff announcer, Bob Zanotti, real soon. Check the Paracast.plus, the Paracast.plus for the lowest prices ever, folks. Richard Thiem, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. A pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.